Yeah, we've been in the Word of God study in hope. And as we get into this part we're doing here today, there is a uh, published list from the Metropolitan Insurance Company on reasons or excuses that they had been given for accidents, automobile accidents. One person said the pedestrian had no idea which direction to go, so I ran over him. Another one, I had been driving for 40 years when I fell asleep at the wheel and had the accident. That's a long time to be awake, huh? <laughs> the indirect cause was a little guy in a small car with a big mouth. The other driver was all over the road. I had to swerve a number of times before I hit him. You'll like this one. I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law, and headed over the embankment. <laughs> yes, indeed. Excuses. We sure can come up with a lot of them, right? <laughs> Sometimes we listen back to them, they don't all make sense. Well, God's heard a whole lot of excuses too, more than the Metropolitan Insurance Company. We've been looking at this topic of hope for a long time, a number of uh, months now. Uh, they're going at it from different sections. Of course, we started over in Hebrews when it says that we're supposed to do what? Hold fast the confession of our without because... He who promised is faithful. And that's really been the basis of the, of the whole series. That we are to hold fast the confession of our hope. Because there's an awful lot of things to try and get us to be shaken from it. We are to hold fast the confession of our hope. Now we also went over the fact that hope is always... You guys are doing good. You got this down. Hope is always future. Hope is never past or present. It is always future. Faith, is faith always future? No, faith can be past, present, or future. I can have faith in past events. I can have faith to carry me through present events. And I can have faith for future events. But when faith and hope team up, it is always for something that is future. So we've been studying mostly on this area of hope. And we've covered a number of different aspects of it. Last week we started this, this uh, what I believe will be the final section of, of this. And we're looking at those things. Well, last week we looked at Abraham. From the time that God made Abraham a father of many until the time he became the father of Isaac, there was a gap. There was a gap, wasn't there? There was a big gap, 24 years. That was a big gap. So we called this, this particular... Uh, Lesson here today, Gapology, the study of gaps. Now, my spell checker had a problem with this word. I had to put up with it the whole time. It was red underlined. Maybe I should have just taught the word processor the word, and that would have uh, taken care of it, but I didn't do that. Every time I look at it, it's saying it's misspelled. Well, that's not in the English dictionary, and I understand that, but give me a little liberty here. We are studying on gaps, so what else can you call it? Gapology, study of gaps. Because it's great that Abraham had a gap in his life from the time that God made the promise, you are a father of many nations, to the time that he had Isaac. That's all great. Abraham had the gap. But what about me? I mean, come on, we're more concerned with the gaps that are in our life than the ones that are with Abraham's, aren't we? We're supposed to learn from the ones that are in other people's lives and apply them to the things that we're doing. The problem that many of us face is getting through the gap from when we were made 
to the time we became. And this is really where we're going to be focusing a lot of our attention. That there's a lot of scriptures that say we were made something. Abraham was made the father of many nations. But it did not happen right away that he became that. We're going to be looking at a number of, uh, or two more situations here today of people who were made or given something and how there was a gap between that time and the time it actually happened. Eventually, we're going to get into the New Testament and we're going to study some things in the New Testament. I already know where we're going next week and next week we're not going there. Don't let me forget and at the end of the service I'll tell you where we're going next week if you care. If you want to know, I'll tell you where we're going next week. But here today we're going to be taking a look at this, these, these gaps that go on because we can learn from the people who had gaps in the past to understand how we can have that gap taken care of in the future. And then we're going to be studying some things in the New Testament that say, you are this. But we look at our lives and say, all right, I am that, but I'm not. How many know the Word of God says that we can prosper in all things? How many look at your life and say, hmm. How many know the Word of God says you are healed? How many look at your life can say, hmm. (laughs) How many can see a gap in your life? Well, we've got to figure out how do we get past that gap? Because Abraham, it took him 24 years until his wife got pregnant with Isaac. But we understand it didn't have to take that long. We can speed some things up. Boy, I'll tell you what, if I could... If I could, oh, I'll tell you what, if I could. We had, I would love to find out how can we change the gap from when Jesus came the first time. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice to change that gap? Boy, that's shorten that one up. <laughs> Glory to God. I'm not so sure about, about that. He's got his time set. and I heard somebody talking this week. We can change that. We can make that a little bit quicker. But mm, uh I don't know, but I do know this, the things that God has promised us, the God, things that God said, I've made you this, the things I have given you this, we can change, we can close that gap. So we're going to study some things out about that. Let's head on over, over into Genesis chapter 1, verse 29. And God said, see, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be food. Glory to God. How many of you like to say, glory to God? All you folks who like vegetables and fruits, glory to God, right? All those folks like me who like meat, say, all right, you can have them. Now, I know I shocked some of you folks. We went out to Panera Bread last week, and I have been looking forward to it since last fall. And sure enough, right on cue, they had it. My favorite absolute favorite salad in the entire world you know there's only about three of them that i like so (laughs) oh it was good though they had it there and it tasted just like it did last year so i was looking forward to those herbs and fruits but i like genesis chapter 9 and verse 3 every moving thing that lives shall be food for you (laughs) i have given you all things even the green herbs we can eat it all (laughs) Going out there, now he went on from there and he gave him a couple of exceptions, but every moving thing that lives shall be food to you. He changed that up a little bit from how it was in the, in the beginning. But you all know that just because they are given to us as food, how many of you all know there's a gap? They've been given to me as food, but they don't show up at my door. 
They're not in my refrigerator like Phyllis was talking about this morning. The refrigerator gets empty. But there are the people who come over and fill it. It doesn't. Just, the herbs don't find their way into our house. The animals don't walk in and say, the fish don't jump in the boat. Unless you're, you know, Jesus and Peter in the net. Generally, they don't jump in the boat. You got to have a little bit of skill. You got to get, you know, do the line and lures and all that sort of stuff. And some of you folks like to go fishing and like that challenge and like the fact that they, you have to work a little bit to get them in, into the boat. There's a, there's a gap there, but you, aren't you trying to close the gap? All right, they've been given to me, but they're not here. So I'm going to get them. And then when they are here, you enjoy them, right? All right. That's a gap. Let's take a look over Numbers chapter 33, verse 51. Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you have crossed the Jordan in the land of Canaan, then you shall drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, destroying all their engraved stones, destroying all their molded images, and demolishing all their high places. You shall dispose the inhabitants of the land and dwell in it. For I have given you the land to possess. I have, past tense, given you the land to possess. Now God had promised to the ancestors that came before Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that I have given you a land. Joseph even said, don't bury my bones. When I die, you keep my bones right here. You keep them where everybody can see them. And when you go to the new land, you take my bones with you and you bury me in the new land. Because he said, God's given us a land and we're going to go on out there and we're going to enjoy that land. That's where we're going. But there was a gap one there. They haven't possessed it. God says, I've given it to you, but it's not here yet. It's not mine. We don't like that fact. We like, we like having it now. How many of y'all like that part where you take your check to the bank and the bank says, well, this will be ready for you in three days? There's a gap. We don't like that gap. <laughs> I want my money. Why? I gave you the check. Why can't I have my money now? <laughs> this is one bank I deal with. Every single check I ever, every one, out of state, in state, every single one, to this day, I bring it to them and they say, all right, well, we'll have a hold on this check for three days. If it's out of state, we'll have a hold on this check for seven days. Seven days. And after a while, I just got tired of them saying it. They had to say it every time. You know, I have a, I have the, the truck loan there. And so um, I have to take it to him. And that's all I use him for is, is for this thing. And so this guy, he was going over the whole thing. You know, you have, well, I have to hold this check for three days. I said, I know they tell me that every single time I come in here. Usually I just bring cash and give that to you. <laughs> so I don't have to hear it. Just go to my regular bank. They never tell me that. I give them the check. They don't usually say this isn't ready for tomorrow. They, I guess it's okay whenever I want to use it. I don't, don't know. I haven't really had to push that part. But this one guy, he was very helpful. And he says, I know, but he says, I'm, I'm way ahead of it, so you have, you have plenty of days before the, the loan's due. And he says, oh, if you want to use it for your loan payment, we'll just apply it to the loan because there's no hold on it. <laughs> really? <laughs> this is better. So then I'm not paying interest on all. Yeah, that's right. You'll cut out the interest on the whole thing. Do that. Because <laughs> we don't like gaps, right? If I'm bringing you the money now, I want, I want something going on. Hmm. We're closing the gap. You know, we're always trying to close the gap. How many of you, you don't like that gap of a whole month between the time your statement comes, so you go online. Closing the gap. I want to see now what's happening with my bank account. 
We like to close the gap. Well, here the children of Israel have been promised, the land is yours. I have given it to you. Now they could be saying, I don't see no land. The land that we're in, this isn't ours. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 23, Likewise, when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, Go up and possess the land which I have given you, then you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God, and you did not believe Him, nor obey His voice. So they went up to Kadesh Barnea. And you know the story with, it, with that one? How they, uh, they got to the place, and they... <laughs> it, this isn't quite the way we wanted it to be. And we'll get into that part of the story in just a minute. And they decided, you know what? We're not going in. And that's what he's talking about. You rebelled. Saying, go up and possess the land which I have given you. Then you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God. And you did not believe him, nor obey his voice. In Joshua chapter 1 and verse 3, he said, Every place the sole of your foot will tread upon I have given you. As I said to Moses. Joshua 24, verse 13, I have given you a land for which you did not labor and cities which you did not build and you dwell in them and you eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. So now we went through all that process and now they're there. They are in the land. They're taking part of the cities. They're enjoying the cities. They're enjoying the, the vineyards. They're enjoying the orchards. But the first time that Israel went to do that, they didn't quite close the gap, did they? They won for all those years. There was supposed to be 400 years in the land of Egypt. Ended up being 430, probably because of Moses' disobedience. But 430 years. And then they get led out of there. And then after they decide to not go in, they have 40 more years to spend out in the wilderness. So they gave the, uh, the folks up there in Canaan a whole lot more grace than God even intended for them to have. So they failed on their first attempt. Now let's take a look over at Numbers chapter 13. In verse 30, Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. This is after the spies brought back the bad report and said, Oh, it's a great land. It's a wonderful land. But there's giants in the land. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report in the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which... We have gone as spies as land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. Then we saw the giants. Now you all know who the giants are. The giants are the product of that union with the uh, uh, fallen angels and the daughters of men. And they produced guys that were 20 feet tall and all that. So that's where Greek mythology came from and all that sort of thing. And that's who was there. God wiped them out the first time with the flood. And the second time he wiped them out through Israel, going in and conquering, and David was the one who finished them all off. And we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Now this is why a lot of folks don't go out there and possess the land or take what it is that God has given. They come up with all kinds of reasons and all kinds of excuses. We have all kinds of reasons. Excuses for why things shouldn't get done. We've got to get, get, get out of all these excuses and stuff. Zig Ziglar, he used to love to tell this story. It was a fellow who went next door to borrow his, his neighbor's lawnmower. So the neighbor explained to him, well, I can't, borrow, can't lend you the lawnmower because all the flights from New York to Los Angeles have been canceled. He said, well, what in the world does that have to do with me borrowing your lawnmower? He says, it has nothing to do with it, but I don't want you to borrow it. 
So one excuse is as good as another. (laughs) Sometimes with God, we just think any excuse will do. Just so it's an excuse. Now we've got to stop making excuses. Get out there and start taking land. When God has given us a thing, go out there and, and, and take it. You know, there's herbs. You like to eat vegetables and fruits and stuff like that? They're out there for the taking. Go out there and get them. If you don't want to go out there and pick them or grow them or do stuff, go out to the grocery store and get them. They're there for you. If you like meat, you can go hunt. You can go fish. Or you can go to the store and buy it like I do. My wife does. Yeah, I don't get to do all that a whole lot. She does most of that. I don't go out and hunt. I don't miss going out and hunting. To me, sitting in a forest with a gun, waiting for something to happen by, and then shooting it and hoping that it falls down dead so you can go over there and cut its throat, bleed it out. That's, that's not a day for me. I, I'm not excited about that. Other people get very excited about it. Look forward to that time of just sitting there in the tree. Listening. Waiting. See, if I'm sitting there in the tree, I'm, where's the MP3 player? I want a podcast on. I want a sermon on. I want something. Give me some noise. And I'd have those things on. I'd never hear the thing creep up. I'd be a terrible hunter. That's not my cone in life. Some of you folks may like to hunt. Glory be to you. Have fun. Go for it. Go for it and hunt well so that we all can eat. That's all good. But anyway, there's things God has given us. They are there. But until you go out and take them, they don't happen. Until you either grow the vegetables, grow the fruit, or go out and harvest them wherever they are growing... They don't come to you. They are given to you. They are there for you to have. But you will never enjoy them if you don't do it. You don't partake of the thing. Get out there and have some of those things. The children of Israel decided not to go forward on this. Chapter 14, verse 1. So all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried. And the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, If only we had uh, died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to the land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? They used their wives and their kids as uh, shields. You know, well, the other reason is the wives and kids. That's why we're we're doing it. You know, how many government people always always, all the children? All we got to do it for the children. All the children. Oh, we can't let the children suffer. You know, oh, we have to raise taxes. We have to cut down this because it's children. You've got to care, take care of the children. Right? Meanwhile, they're putting all that money into other stuff. You know, the study how pinks oink. Why they get dirty? Because these are important things. I really don't care why pigs get dirty or how they get dirty. But we can't cut stuff on those. We've got to keep spending money on that, finding out why that happens. But then they always go out and blame it on the children. It's an excuse they had behind. Just like these folks. Oh, our wives. Oh, our children. We feel for them. No, they don't. They just hid behind them. So God said in the end, He said, All right, just just for that, your kids are going to walk in the land and you guys aren't. So they said to one another, Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, who, who were among them, 
had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Now, his statement is great, except for the fact, he says, He will give it to us. God has already given it to them. You make sure you never lose sight of that. If God promised you something, if God said something is yours, it is yours, whether you have it or not. When God came to Abraham and said, You are a father of many. What does Abraham say? Back when he was Abram. I don't have any kids. How can that be true? I don't have any kids. When God says it, it's so. Whether you see it or not. And you'll close the gap a whole lot faster if you understand that. Verse 9, Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregation said, said to stone them with stones. That's the way you get rid of it. Just, you know, eliminate the problem. You guys want to be over there reminding us about, about what the Word of God says. We don't want to hear that. Let's kill you. Let's kill them. So the gap was longer because they refused to believe the promise given was one given. I'm sorry, I misread that. The gap was made longer because they refused to believe the promise given was given by one faithful to fulfill it. Remember, he who promised is faithful. In Hebrews 10, the promise given, I have given you the land. They judged the one who made the promise as unfaithful and decided we can't go in. The folks are too big. Now let me read Joshua chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. This is uh, Rahab the harlot. Now before they lay down, she came up to them up on the roof and said to the men, this is to the, to the spies who came through, not the twelve that we already read about. These are the second group that Joshua sent through. I know that the Lord has given you the land that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. Now, do not think it is because of this group of Israelites that they are now faint-hearted because she goes on to clarify it. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. Did He dry up the water of the Red Sea for this generation? No, that was the previous generation. When you came out of Egypt and what you did are the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon, and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. As soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. She's speaking for all of them. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. So all this time they're saying, man, I thought they were coming up here to kill us. I thought they were coming up here to take the land. I mean, over there at Kadesh Barnea, they were there. Man, we were nervous. We were, we were so nervous, we were looking all over for these, for these folks. You know, who, the, who the spies were coming out. But we were afraid that the whole group, they're going to come on in here. And then they, they came. And so we said, all right, we're going to die. We may as well die, die fighting. And they came out and fought and Hey, we won. And they chased them off. But they were shocked because it said that these giants, these 
great people. Rahab is saying, we were afraid. Our hearts melted. And yet the spies are saying, we were like grasshoppers. Oh, so many times, folks, we make excuses and we see ourselves as grasshoppers because what God has promised, we don't see that we're big enough to go out there and get. God's promised that to me, but, uh, you know, who am I? Who am I? Yes. I know the Word of God has promised me some good things and that whatever I put my hand to would, would succeed and prosper, but, you know, I, I don't know that I deserve a raise. I don't know that I deserve a better job. I mean, who am I? Why would God bless me? I mean, there's a whole lot of people that are out of work. Why would I get that job before anyone else would? Why? We see ourselves as grasshoppers. We see ourselves as small. Who am I? I, I nobody. Look at all those other folks out there looking for stuff. Now, see, just because you know that truth doesn't mean that it happens. You've got to live it. You've got to walk through life and believe it. And we'll see that here in just a little bit. See, they look to themselves to fulfill what was promised. We have to make sure that what is promised, we don't look to ourselves to fulfill. If God promised that our bodies are healed, I don't have to fulfill that. If God promised that everything I put my hand to would succeed, I don't have to fulfill that. He does. If God promised to bring me into land, I don't have to fulfill that. He who promised is faithful. I have to go through even what the word that came to Joshua. Every place on which your foot shall tread, I've given it to you. I have given it to you. But your foot's got to tread there. You've got to go out there. You've got to go out there on that job interview. You've got to walk into the boss's office and say, I need a, I need a raise. Or whatever it is that, you get, that God's telling you to do to make that thing better. But here these folks saw themselves as small, saw themselves as not able to, and didn't close the gap. In fact, they died before that gap ever got closed. It wasn't intended to be that way, but that's how it became. Now here's another gap for you from the New Testament. How many of y'all know the Word of God has said the love of God is poured out in our heart? How many of you can see a gap between that teaching and your life? <laughs> uh-huh. How many want to close that gap? Yeah, let's get that gap closed. Over in 1 Samuel chapter 16, we're looking at David. David is anointed to be king. Again, these are stories from the Bible that you all are well aware of. But it is good for us to take a look at these again. And I went all the way back to verse 1 on this because I want you to see what all was going on in this part. Now the Lord said to Samuel, how many of all know who Samuel is? Great and mighty prophet of God, right? did all kinds of wonderful things. God worked through him. Oh, I mean, God spoke to him about stuff. I mean, armies surround him. And he just is no, is no big deal. How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from being over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. What's Samuel saying right now? Small. Small. What did God say to do? Go anoint the king out of the sons of Jesse. What's Samuel doing? Making excuses. Why? Because he sees himself as smaller. Can you imagine that? Samuel sees himself as smaller than the task that's ahead of him. 
<laughs> I mean, if Samuel sees himself as smaller than the task ahead of him, there's hope for you, isn't there? <laughs> there's hope for me. <laughs> Glory to God. We're not in that bad of shape. Samuel thought he was too small. How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. <clears throat> you shall anoint for me the one I name for you. So he doesn't know who it is yet. And God says, I'm not telling you until we get there. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem and the elders of the town trembled at the coming. Did you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. So you see, the town saw themselves as small. Samuel is big. He's coming. Why is he coming? Is he coming to pronounce a word from the Lord against us? Oh, man, what's going on here? Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. How many of you ever judge a situation by how it looked and determined that must be God? And then found out it wasn't. You're in good company. Samuel did the same thing. He saw this guy tall, big, like Saul. Surely this is the king that we want. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the, he doesn't say I didn't select him. He says I've refused him. I don't want that one. For the Lord does not see as man sees. Now just think of it this way. How many of you have ever been to a restaurant and looked at the menu? And you have, especially if it's a new restaurant, you look down the menu, you're looking at all the stuff that's there, and how many of you all have favorite things? And you first off, don't you go through the menu and you look for your favorite things? Do they make any of my favorite things? And then you look at some of the things you're not so familiar with and you read over them. Ooh, goat cheese. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. That's for me anyway. Other people like goat cheese. You know, you go out there and take charge of it. But you know, you look down, you look at the ingredients. Oh, asparagus. Oh, Brussels sprouts. Real? I mean, really? Cabbage? And so, you know, what do you do? You begin to eliminate certain ones because there are things in it that you do not like. What have you done? I have refused this. And sometimes, you know, your spouse will say to you, Oh, we think of that. No, 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 uh-uh, mm -mm, no. Don't like that at all. We've refused it. That's what it is. That's what God's saying. He says, it wasn't that, you know, wow, like this one, this one, this one, and this one. Hmm, I guess I'm going to go, I'm going to pick this one. No, he says, ew. Now, he's not saying he doesn't like the guy. He's just saying as king, no, 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 no. No king here. Don't you be looking at his stature. It says, I've refused him. That's pretty strong language. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. How many of y'all look at the outward appearance of things? Don't we? I mean, come on. If we're eating something that's green, it's probably not good. Right? <laughs> well, if you're in my, in my place, you know. Green generally means not good. No, I do. I know you all think I don't eat vegetables. I do eat them at home. Just not out at the restaurant. 
if I'm paying good money for something out there, you know, I want meat. Anyway, where do we leave off at? Verse 7. We are all don't leave the eight. So it was when they came that he looked at. We got past that. I am not seeing it right. I'm seeing the sixes and eight. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Now he's still thinking, Okay, because he's got seven kids up there. We only rejected three of them. He's still got four to go. Then Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Now if you're Samuel... This is, this is pretty shocking. The Lord sent me up here to anoint one of your sons. You brought the sons here and got, no, 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 no. Now you got to know, Samuel, you come to the last one. Well, process of elimination. Here we go. This must be it. And he brings him before and God says, no. Am I hearing the right voice? I'm, that's all of them. You rejected all of them. What do we do? Go back to the beginning? But Samuel makes a very, very bold request. He says, wait, did you forget any of your kids? I mean, did you leave one out? Is, is there one that's... Look them over. Is anybody missing? Can you imagine saying that to one of your parents? Are you sure all your kids are here? You sure he didn't leave one? But that's what he does. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, Well, there remains yet the youngest. And there he is, keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes. Now this tells you volumes about David's upbringing. How many of y'all think you had a rough childhood? I'm not raising my hand because I thought I'd done, just, you know, helping you out. <laughs> I had a good childhood. That's not because my parents are here. <laughs> I've told you that before when they weren't here. <laughs> I had a good childhood. I put them through the ringer, but they stuck with it. Worked hard. <laughs> but how would you like to have a parent who says, well, you know, there's the youngest guy. We just we let him keep the sheep because we don't really like to see him around a whole lot. That's got to be his attitude. You have the prophet of God who says, I want you to bring all of your sons up because I'm going to anoint one of them. And so he brings all the important ones up, doesn't he? Who does he leave back? The one that the father rejected as being a candidate. David's father rejected him as being a candidate to be anointed from what he knew of him. How would you like to grow up with that? Now, this attitude didn't just stop with dad. It went to every single one of his siblings. Every single one of David's brothers, don't know about the sisters, but we do know about the brothers, saw him in this way. You're nothing. You are worthless. You should be out there doing the jobs that we important people aren't doing. How would you like to grow up under that? How would you begin to see yourself? An awful lot of people in the world going to psychiatrists and saying, you know, it's my dad's fault. It's my mom's fault. It's my teacher's fault. There's nothing that's, that's anyone else's fault but your own. Until you get out of that mentality, get around, away from those people who keep telling you it's somebody else's fault and get around people and say, it's your fault, change it. 
You're going to keep being under that thing. You should use David as an example here. His example can certainly help you out. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was, a, he was ruddy, bright eyes, and good looking. That's not the description I'm expecting. Ready, bright eyes, and good, good looking. You know what bright eyes means? This guy loved life. This guy loved life. My mom used to tell me that about me when I was, when I was growing up. That I woke up with the excitement that here is another day. Oh, what can we get into today? What possibilities await? <laughs> and I didn't waste time with naps. Because that would take away from the exploring the possibilities that are out there would be missed if I was napping. And you come out there, you just have this, this outlook. And, and don't think that's a great outlook for a kid to have because my mom will tell you differently. She'll tell you how hard, hard that was and what kind of things that did as far as a parent trying to uh, you know, do, do things to protect your kid. Bright eyes. Now, David had eyes. I'm not saying I had the same eyes as David did, but I'm saying David did not get dull eyes. He didn't come in and say, oh, what do you want me to do now? Do you need me to mop something up? you need me to cook something? Did you make a mess? What do you need me to do? No, he comes in and says, yeah, what do you want me for? I'm ready. I'm ready. What do you want? What do you want? Well, we just want uh, Samuel to take a look at you. Okay, here I am. How do I look? He's ready. He's, he's bright-eyed. He's ruddy. He's good-looking. What do you want? And the Lord says, that's him. Right, come here, David. All right, yeah, yeah. What do you want me to do? I'm going to anoint you king. King of what? I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it. King of what? King of what? King of all Israel. Okay, let's go. <laughs> He's just ready. He is just bright-eyed. He is ready. Can you imagine living under a father who thought so little of you, living under that spread over to all the brothers, and all the brothers who are older than you think so little of you, say all kinds of nasty stuff about you, and dad doesn't defend you. He just puts you out there with the sheep. Now, you're going to see this attitude in David again over in chapter 17. You all know this story. Oh, sometimes the details of this story we miss. But oh, don't, don't be missing it. Now we're in the gapology number two here. This is the things that are made. We had, I didn't tell you that. The other one was things that were given. These are things that are made. God has made certain things. God has given some things, but God has made other things. And sometimes there is a gap between what He has given and what we take. And sometimes there's a gap from what He has made into when it becomes. And David was made king on this day. But he didn't become king for a while. There was a gap. Now, we're not going to read the whole story here to you, but I do want to read some of it. We're going to pick up at verse 24. This is a story David and Goliath. David's being sent out. Now, David has just been selected among all the brothers as king over Israel. And he was anointed by the prophet. The, not a prophet, the prophet this is the guy. All Israel knows about this guy. And he came to our house, to our place, and he picked our son, and he anointed him king over Israel. How many of you think that that would change the way his dad looked at him? That that would change the way the brothers then looked at him? 
<laughs> you would be mistaken. You would be mistaken. That's going back to, um, where did we say we're going to pick up here? We said 24. I think we're going to pick up a little bit more than that. It tells us in the story that Jesse's three oldest sons, and we were given their names in the previous story, and we're given their names again. The three oldest sons, they went into battle, so the other sons, the other five, were staying home. David is still out with the sheep. Pick up at verse 20. So David rose early in the morning. This is after uh, his, his dad asked him, he says, look, I got some, some food. I want you to send it up to um, take it to the brothers. The brothers are at battle. You have five sons to pick from. You're going to take one of them because you want to send some cheeses to the brothers, brothers that are fighting the battle. Right? So who are you going to pick? The coming king? Now think of this. If this guy becomes king, what happens to your family? Oh, 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 oh. Come on, think about what happens to your family if you just become, one of the kids becomes president. He's, if Jesse's son becomes king, what happens to Jesse? Good things. Very good things. Because his son is, we change residence. Our bank account changes. Everything changes in life. This is good. So, wouldn't you be a little bit more protective? It'd be like, you know, if you won a, a, a lottery. We have a lottery ticket. Would you be protective about that lottery ticket? Would you just throw it in your back pocket with all the other stuff? Throw it into the back seat of the car? No, you are protective of this. We don't want to get it mixed up. We want to keep it separate. What do they do with, with David? After all this, Samuel anoints him. Big ceremony. What do we do? All right, get back out there. Those sheep are still there. Come on. So he calls him in from taking care of the sheep. And he says, I got these cheeses. And I want you to take them to your brothers. They're on the battle line. In a war with the Philistines. I want you to go up there and t- you know, take them some cheeses. They'll probably like that. Come on, moms. How many of you moms are out there would send your youngest son into the battle area to bring cheeses to the older sons? No, you wouldn't do it then. How much less would you do it if he was anointed to be king of Israel? You know what's probably going on in the mind of Jesse? I know Samuel made a mistake. I know Samuel made a mistake. I just know it. This, this is not king material right here. This is... He made a mistake. Should have been Eliab. Should have been him. I'll show him he made a mistake. I'll show him. He messed up. And he's got to fix this. Because our nation's not commander David. He sends him to take Jesus to the battle line. So David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper. Make sure he took care of the sheep. Left the sheep with the keeper. Remember, now look at this. He left, this is real important. He left the sheep with the keeper. He left doing what he was doing and he left the sheep with a keeper. And took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. He didn't stand there and say, Dad, wait a minute. Did you forget what happened? I mean... I'm going to be king here. Do you really want to do this? doesn't do it. does exactly what his, his dad said. Just goes out there and takes it. And he came to the camp and the army was, was going out to the fight and shouting for the battle. 
For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. Now here's David. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper and ran to the army. Why? Because he's a bright-eyed boy. Oh, look at this. It's a real battle. <laughs> wow. I wonder how close I will let me get. And he runs up into the battle. How close can I get before they tell me I have to go back? How close can I get there? Now, David has no armor. All the rest of the guys have armor on, so it's easy to pick out David. Plus, he's younger. Here comes David up in there. No armor on. What are you doing up here? I came to see the battle. I came to see the fight. I want to see the front lines. They let him go on. Hmm. So he ran to the army and came, greeted his brothers. Because he missed them so much, right? Why do you think he came up to greet the brothers? Because they're the excuse to get up there. I can say I'm going to see the brothers, but I just want to see. Would you go visit your brothers if they were like this to you? <laughs> Maybe might, might you go up there and, and see, are they dead yet? they die? Oh, no, okay. Then he talked with them. He's always over there. He's talking with his brothers. How you doing? Yeah, things are, yeah, things are good at home. What are you doing? Well, watching the sheep, you know. Okay. And there was a champion, the Philistines of Gath, and Goliath by name, coming up from the, arm, from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. How many of y'all think David fled? No, he's... Oh, they're all getting out of my way. Good. All right, I can see better now. <laughs> so the men of Israel said, Have you seen the man who has come up? Surely he has not. This is not his brothers anymore. He's not talking with the brothers. He's talking to the other people, the other guys. Have you seen, have you seen that man who comes up? Because they're afraid of him, so they want other people to share in that fear because they feel better that way. Have you seen the man who comes up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich him with great riches, will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. <laughs> now David has to be thinking about something. When I'm king, I'm exempt from taxes in Israel. But anyway, then David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, wait a minute, go over that again. What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistines and takes away the reproach from Israel? Now, he added that point on himself, didn't he? Because he saw this Philistine as putting a reproach on Israel. They didn't say that. He said it. What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine is what they said. And he adds on and takes away the reproach from Israel. <laughs> Tell me again. What will happen? It's like the people that are really into the lottery. How big is the lottery? $250 million? Yeah, that's good. Let me just check. How, how big is that? I get 250 sure enough. And what's that after taxes? How much do I take home? You know, we want to find out about this stuff, right? Because this is, this is our dreams. There's David. What's going to be done? Well, maybe, maybe somebody got it wrong. Go over to somebody else. Tell me, tell, tell me something. What happens to the guy who kills that man? Oh, this is what happens. And he told him the same story. Oh, this is good. This is good. Go toward another one. What happens to the guy who kills this one? Oh, this is what happens. You get to marry the king's daughter. No more taxes for your father's household. Maybe dad will like me now. 
Well, then the word, you know, he, he's going around talking to enough people. Word gets around that his brother hears about it. Now, Eliab, his brothers, verse 28, his oldest brother heard when he spoke to the men and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. Why in the world does he get mad at David? Because of how he sees him. Why did you come down from here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the, in the wilderness? I know your pride and your insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Does that sound like a brother who's changed his attitude after his brother was anointed king? Does that sound like a brother who believes that David is ever going to be king of Israel? I mean, come on, if you really thought your brother was going to be king of Israel, would you not treat him a little bit differently? And David said, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from it toward another. And he said the same thing. What will happen to the person who kills Goliath? <laughs> Can you see why they describe him with bright eyes? No matter what you do, this guy, he's not going to be discouraged. His, old, his older brother comes in. Knock that off! Why are you doing this? I mean, you're nothing. You're a person who watches a couple of sheep. That's all you've got in life. But he doesn't stop. He goes on. Tell me again. What will happen? What will happen to the person who kills? And they tell him. Now, the word going through the camp so much that Saul heard about it. Now, when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul. Because right now, everyone's been afraid of this guy. All of a sudden, there's somebody going through the camp and he's asking all kinds of questions about what you're going to do to the guy who kills Goliath. Really? You mean somebody can actually envision killing Goliath? This is great. Bring the guy in here. I want to see him. Now, what do you think Saul's expecting? big and armor and there comes David kind of a surprise David said to Saul let no man's heart David said to Saul let no man's heart fail because of him Goliath your servant will go out and fight with the Philistine so just imagine this you got this big problem in the land and um, you hear that somebody's talking about they can undo this problem and I'll oh, go get that person here comes this short little guy young too young for to be fighting in the battle and you look at that. How many of you think Saul's heart goes, if you're David, can you pick up on that? Can you pick up that the king of Israel was disappointed that it was you? David's seen this with his dad. He's seen it with his brothers. He's seen it with everybody else. Everyone's disappointed that it's David. Oh, it's only you. I thought it was somebody important. I thought it was somebody who could actually do something. I thought it was someone who could actually fix this problem. It's just you. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth. And he a man of war from his youth. You can't do this. How many times have people said this to David? You can't do this. You aren't capable of doing this. I'm sure that once Samuel left, how many of you all know people came up to David and said, You can't be king. That for all this time, David had to hear, you can't be king. You're not going to be king. Don't let that get to your head. This isn't going to happen. Get out there with the sheep. And David said to Saul, your servant, I love this phrase, your servant used to keep sheep. <laughs> your servant used to keep his father's sheep. How long ago was it that he used to keep his father's sheep? Just that day. <laughs> just then. He just left them. 
I used to keep, I used to be a sheep keeper. In my younger days, I used to be a sheep keeper. That's what I did. I kept, can you believe that? I used to keep sheep. Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. You think there's anyone around that's telling David, he's not doing that anymore. His older brother's saying, get on back there and watch those couple of sheep you got. I used to keep my father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it, and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Now, we just read over that, folks, and you don't hear the whole story. Understand the attitude he faces with dad. Understand the attitude he faces with his brothers. Here he is out on the day. How many of the brothers are out there with the sheep helping him? How many people are out there with the sheep helping him? No one. He does this on his own. There is no one helping him. There is no one else there with him. So the lion comes up to eat the sheep. His job is to protect the sheep. So what's he do? You stinking lion. Get over here. I'm going to take you out. And he kills the lion. What do you think he goes home and does? I tell somebody, Dad, guess what I did? I killed a lion. You don't say, son, huh? Big one? Oh, it was big. Yeah, is that right? Mm-hmm. Hey, did you hear that, Eliab? He, he killed a lion today. <laughs> Little David killed a lion. Really? Is it a big lion? Is it a big bad lion? Did he roar? <laughs> did he make a lot of noise? Oh, did the big bad lion get one of the little sheep? Really? I killed a lion. Uh-huh. You want to come see the lion? Come on. And he takes him on down there probably and shows him, here's a dead lion. David, you just found the lion. You didn't kill no lion. You just found the lion. You want to make up this story because you're out here by yourself all day long. Then he comes home and guess what happened at the sheepfold today? What happened, David? A bear came. Really? Was it a big bear? Or a little teddy bear? No, it's a big bear. And what did you do, David? Did you kill that one too? I sure did. Killed him dead. Eliab, did you hear that? David killed a bear this time. He's killed a lion and a bear. What a guy. Really, I did. Can I take you and show him? All right, we'll go down. We'll... Here's the bear. He's dead. David, he was probably already dead when you came and found him. Come on, if you were the parent of a son who killed a lion and a bear, would you hide him from the prophet? His dad never believed he killed a lion or a bear. His brothers don't believe he killed a lion or a bear. They believe he is a storyteller. And anything that comes out of his mouth, they don't believe, and the attitude started with his dad. It was passed on to all the others. I don't know why it started, but it started with his dad and it got passed on to all the sons because the dad's not picking it up from the sons. They're picking it up from the dad. And he tells Saul. Now Saul doesn't know David. He doesn't know that in their eyes, he's a storyteller. He sees the enthusiasm. He sees the light in David's eyes. And he says, you know what? I was out there taking care of those sheep and a lion came up to take one and I killed him. And a bear came up and I single-handedly took on that bear and I killed him. And I'll make that Philistine just like one of those lions and just like one of those bears. I'll kill him dead. You won't have to worry about this anymore. I will kill him and he will be dead. There is no one in the nation talking like this. They are all afraid. 
But David is bright-eyed. He says, there's nothing out there I can't take on. He does, this is Saul's first meeting with the man. He looks at this and says, Wow. This kid really believes he can kill Goliath. I bet you he went back in the war room with some of his guys. Can you, do you see this? This guy believes he can do it. We don't have a single person out here who believes that they can, that they can actually kill him. This guy believes he will. And you convince a king to put his whole country on the line. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who, de- who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. David had to convince him. And it's not just with his words. You know what else it was? Saul saw it in his eyes. He saw something in his eyes. says, you're not putting this man down. He's not going to be stopped. He has bright eyes. (laughs) He doesn't believe he can fail. He doesn't believe that this won't work. Can you imagine living up in a household whose dad believes that you are a failure, whose brothers believe that you are a failure, who every day tell you you are a failure, who don't believe any of your accomplishments, they believe you are a storyteller, who hides you when the prophet comes to anoint. Can you imagine David coming up and saying, here I am. How come all you guys were already here? Oh, I wasn't invited earlier. Do you think Eliab would have made sure that David knew afterwards? David, let me tell you something. The reason we had to go get you because we didn't think he belonged there. And all seven of us were there because dad believes in us. He don't believe in you. You don't think that brother would say that? And it still doesn't stop David. He still keeps having his bright eyes, this enthusiasm, this thing that says, if you come against God, if you come against me, you will fail. So Saul clothed David with his armor and put a bronze helmet on his head and he clothed him with a, a uh, coast of, of mail. A coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk. (laughs) For he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. Can you imagine putting on, you know, oversized, smaller, oversized stuff? You know, and and, uh, it's just not working. You know, we got Chad here with us today. And imagine that, you know, Chad stands up above most of us. Imagine armor is made for him, put on someone who's Jeremy size. Ready to go out to battle? I haven't tried the... I, I, no, I can't... No, I'm going to go out there the same way I went out there with the bear and the lion. Got my slingshot. I'm good. Then he took, off, took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had and his sling which is in his hand and drew near to the Philistine. Do not think... We've covered this before. You already know it. The five stones in his bag are not because he expects to miss. And what we described to David so far, do you think David expects he's going to miss? No. The five stones are in his bag, once for Goliath and once for each of his brothers, total of five. Goliath has four brothers and they would have been expected to come out and take vengeance on David for killing his brother. So he sees himself as killing Goliath and then taking on the four brothers who would come after. 
<laughs> he doesn't just see himself as taking this. See, David asked some questions. He found out some things about Goliath. He didn't go in this not knowing. The Word of God didn't say he grabbed some stones. The Word of God says he grabbed five. And if you go through the Word of God, you can find from the Word of God that Goliath had four brothers. The Word of God names all of them. And David was prepared for them. If they came, I'll kill them too. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David. And the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistines looked about, saw David, he disdained him. Just like he's heard from his dad and his brothers and initially saw. He looks around and says, All right, who's, who's ready to take me on? I see the armor bearer, but you know, who's the guy? David says, No, that's, that would be me. Come on, really? Who's the guy taking me on? That would be me. You? They send you out to take me on? You? Yeah. They sent me. So the Philistine thinking, you think that poorly of me as a warrior that you send a kid with no armor to take me on. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistines cursed David by his gods. And the Philistines said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. How is he going to take his head from him with no sword? David has seen this whole thing play out. I will knock him in the head, and when he falls down, I will get his sword, and I will cut his head off. He sees this all play out, and he speaks it right to Goliath. I'm going to cut your head off. The guy's got to be saying, with what? The stick? And I will... And this day I will give the carcass of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. <laughs> then all this assembly shall know the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. He will give you into our hands. But the battle is the Lord. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David that David hurled and uh, hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took but a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in the head so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on the face of the earth. And David prevailed over the Philistine with a, with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in his hand, in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword, Goliath's sword, and drew it out of its sheath. Hadn't even pulled his sword out of its sheath yet. And killed him and cut off his head. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. <laughs> David sparked a huge victory because he simply wouldn't be told, no, that gap's not going to be closed. That's how it's going to be. David, for all his life, had put up with low expectations and put-downs from his family. Don't think your family situation was so bad. David got through it and became king of Israel. And all the while had this attitude to life. You can have it too.
Again, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. Not anymore. (laughs) The world is always going to try and tell you that you are deficient, that you will not make it. And it is trying to get you to let go of the hope of your calling. David's calling was, you will be king over Israel. And David held on to that calling. And he says, I can go out and fight this, this Philistine. God has said, I will be king over Israel. I'm not going to die out there. I will be king over Israel. The whole time he's saying, I will be king over Israel. And his brother said, you will not. Stop believing that stuff. But he, what did he do? He held fast to the confession. He held fast. By, despite his dad saying, get out there and take care of the sheep. Don't think just because some prophet came over here and anointed you king of Israel, you can go take care of those sheep. Get out there. Take care of them sheep. I wonder how much this changed the attitude at home. Because, you know, family members just don't change that fast towards you, do they? David comes on home and says, Dad, guess what? You don't have to pay any more taxes. Yeah, right. How are you going to do that, David? You're going to become king tomorrow? No, but I just killed the Philistine. And, uh, you know, the, the, the king said that you don't have to pay taxes anymore. Uh-huh. Just like to kill the lion, just like to kill the bear, right? Yep, just like that. Yeah, and I'm going to marry the king's daughter. David, this is just going a little too far. Come on now. I mean, it's okay when you just involved us. It's just here at that house. But now you're involving the king. Come on. (laughs) David lived under this attitude all this time. People always had low expectations of him. People always put him down. People are always going to be around you, folks, and they're going to be pinpointing your deficiencies, why it is that the hope of your calling will not happen. If you say, I know, I will be healed like the woman with the issue of blood. People will come around saying, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Now, I know somebody and they didn't get healed. That won't happen for you. That used to happen. They don't happen anymore. And you get around folks like that and then you begin to believe, maybe it won't happen anymore. But David maintained his bright eyes, his good outlook and his hope. He did not waver. Did not let it go. There are some areas that we can see our deficiencies in. I just wrote four out here and you can write a whole lot more than this. But I can see my deficiencies in first off my calling or just put calling. We all have a calling. We're called to do something. David's call was to be king. Other people had called to be be other things. Eliab had a call to be a warrior in the army. And I'm sure he was a good one. I can see my deficiencies in calling. Opportunity. How many of y'all say, well, if I had the opportunity like that person had, if I was only put into that position, if I was only given that project, if I only had that job, if I only married into that family, calling, opportunity, strength. Children of Israel said, we aren't strong enough to overcome those folks. We aren't strong. We, aren't, we can't do it. We're not strong enough. Or talent. I don't have the ability. I, don't, I can't. No, I'm not skilled that way. I'm not a giant killer. I'm not a land taker. Calling, opportunity, strength, and talent. If I keep my focus, and if my focus stays there, it will cost me. That's how you can remember these four things I gave you. Calling, opportunity, strength, and talent. C-O-S-T, cost. It will cost you. If you focus on these things, it will cost you where you're going. David didn't focus on his deficiencies. He focused on what God said. He didn't focus on deficiencies of calling, opportunity, strength, and talent. He looked at, I am called. I have opportunity. I have the strength of God. And I have the talent I need to get it done. 
Don't focus on the deficiencies in this area. Focus on God has equipped me in these areas. God has made me ready. I want you to think about this. The next time that you feel like God can't use you, remember these, these folks in the Word of God. No, I wasn't drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was ugly. Joseph was abused. Rahab was a prostitute. Gideon was afraid. Samson had long hair and was a womanizer. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David had an affair and was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. I can hold you back. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs. That could be a liability. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep when they were praying. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. And Timothy had an ulcer. And Lazarus was dead. What excuse you got? Why is it that God can't use you? Why is it that God can't fulfill the hope of your calling? Why is it that God cannot take you to whatever hope He said He would in His Word? Why is it that God cannot fulfill that in your life? Why is it that God cannot heal you if Jesus went about the, all the earth healing all that were oppressed, all that were sick? Why is it that God cannot heal you? If God took people out of poverty, brought them into abundance, why could God not do that for you? And I'm not talking about rich abundance so you go out there and satisfy all your fleshly things. No, God doesn't do that. God wants you to have so you can give to others. He exhorts us to give to the poor, but you can't give to the poor if you are. Isn't that right? Poor people don't give to the poor. Who gives to the poor? Rich pe people with money. People with more money than they have. All this stuff, everybody wants to go, tax the rich, tax the rich. Yeah, tax the rich. Who hires people? Rich people, not poor people. Poor people don't hire other people. Poor people are trying to get along. Rich people hire people. Thank God for rich people. They hire you. <laughs> they start businesses. They get things going. Stop hiding behind excuses. There is a gap between what in your life, there is a gap between what God says He has given you and you becoming or having possession of that thing. There is a gap saying what God has made you into you actually being that. Let's close the gap. But let's not get discouraged and say, I'll never get there. Then there's no hope. But the Word of God is about hope. The Word of God is about hope. Now, I told you I'd tell you where we're going next week, right? I didn't forget. We are going to eventually get in some places in the New Testament where I want you to see what God has given you and how you can tell you got it. And what God has made you and how you can tell you've become it. But next week, we're not getting into that. Next week, we're going to be... I already caught this one. What we're going to do? Gap jumpers. What happens when you jump the gap. Now I want you to get this as a picture. I want you to get on the... Uh, get, how many remember Evil Knievel? 
How many, you remember Evil Knievel? How many people have no idea who Evil Knievel is? Never heard of Evil Knievel. Anybody at all? Never heard of Evil Knievel. All right, so yeah, a little bit. Okay, a couple people. Nah, Coach Roy. Evil Knievel, big daredevil, stunt guy on a motorcycle. And he'd jump anything. He have a ramp, motorcycle, and he'd jump it. And he got, you all remember that time? He said, I'm going to jump the Grand Canyon. <laughs> He's a gap jumper. <laughs> if he saw a gap, he's going to jump it. And of course, that, you know, he had a rocket and all sorts of stuff. No more motorcycle. But he would line up that motorcycle and he'd have the ramp and he would have, you know, how many busted up cars or, or all the different things that he would do. And he, he had some nasty spills. Y'all remember seeing some of those spills? Oh, he broke stuff. Oh, boy, did he fall. He, he tore up things. And what happened when he got healed up? He's looking for another gap. <laughs> Where's the gap? We're going to jump. All right, now if we do this, we can, we can jump that gap. He's always looking for a gap to jump because he believed that he could get from one side to the other. How do we become a gap jumper for God? How do we get to that place where we see a gap from what God has given, what God has made us, into what is over here? You know what? I can cross that. I can get there. And we have bright eyes. I never saw evil Knievel's eyes, but I'll bet you they were bright. I'll bet you he looked at anything and says, ah, we can do this. <laughs> we, we can do this. I'm sure that there are people all around evil Knievel saying, you can't do that. That won't, no, you can't do that. That's not going to happen. I mean, jump in the Grand Canyon. If you don't make it, it's probably not good. <laughs> that is a long way down. Mm. Well, you all know he didn't make it, but he did walk away from it. <laughs> what? I mean, just an outlook. I hope you get an idea of what David was about. This is where David came from. This is some of the things that, that he had, had endured people told him all the time you can't do it you can't get there and he refused to believe them they didn't believe his stories he refused to let that stop him he just kept going and God didn't miss him God saw him and said you see this you know what if we put that guy in as king the sky's the limit because this guy won't let anything stop him wow we need a new king Let's pick this guy. Let's get David. <laughs> Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank you for the things you have said in your word that you have given us, for the things you said in your word that you have made us. And we don't see the reality of that all the time in our life. There are some things that are still out there. We're still, oh, I, I, I need to see that happen in my life. Oh, I want to see that go on in my life. I know God has said it, but mm, I want to get to that place. Oh, we see the gaps in our life, Father. But you want to help us close the gap. You want to help us get to that place where the thing that we have been given, we hold in our hand. Yes. Where the thing that we have been made, we are. Father, I thank you for the help that you give us. You are a wonderful yes, and great God. Yes. And there is nothing in this world that we cannot overcome. The world may tell us we can't kill lions and bears. But the world hasn't met the God that David served. The world may believe that we can't kill giants. But the world hasn't met the God of Israel. The world may say that battle's too big. You can't win that one. 
But the world hasn't seen how big our God is. The world may say you'll never possess that land. There's just too much in there. But the world doesn't know our God made it. Father, we thank You that we do not lose hope. That we will hold fast to the hope You have given us. We will not waver. We will not let go of our confession. For we know when You made that promise, You are a faithful God. And You will bring it about. And we thank You for it. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Glory be to God.